we serve a good God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, and open your Bibles to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 12. It's been six weeks, glory to God, that I haven't preached, in case you didn't notice. It's good to be back, good to be back. Romans, chapter 12, verse 1, when you got it, say so. And it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. God, thank you so much for your word today. God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the beautiful reminders that we have of who you are and what you have done for us. God, this morning, may you open our ears to hear. May our hearts be sensitive to you, and may we respond to you in faith, God, by what you say to us today. May you be glorified. We pray this all in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, all you have to do is raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to bring you one. Just keep your hand up so that way they know that you are waiting on that outline. We want to be sure that you're able to follow along in the introduction. want to be able to be sure that you're able to take some notes. And also, as always, a reminder, the the outline that you have is also a tool that you can use in, in your efforts to make disciples, right, to help someone else grow in their faith. And so sitting down, there's no better thing to do than for you to talk with someone about what you're learning. And that way you learn it better, right? It forces you to dig in and you can help them. And so um, Romans chapter 12, we are making a little bit of a transition here um, from the verses or chapter 1 through 11, which really dealt with, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but really dealt with what God has done, what salvation is about, how that works. And then now the apostle Paul is going to take us into actually the imperatives, like what is the responsibility for someone who calls themselves a Christian. If you look at your outline here, because church history is filled with sinners saved by grace, it's messy, it's ugly, and can be heartbreaking, but it should never be surprising since God has inspired a book that is raw, real, and always relevant. When you look at the Bible, when you look at the scriptures, what you find is from Genesis to Revelation, you find imperfection. You find men that have fallen short of the glory of God. The first man created, he fell short of the glory of God. As you continue on through the narratives of Scripture, you look at Noah. Noah was a man that the Bible says he was righteous, he had found favor with God. The first thing he does after he gets out of the ark is what? Goes and gets drunk. Come on, somebody. 
You talk about a mess, right? You talk, you talk about something that's ugly, right? Well, I'm sorry, the second thing. The first thing he did was made a sacrifice. He was grateful. They lived through that. Second thing is, let's get drunk, right? I mean, so nonetheless, he had his priorities right, I guess. But here's the thing. When we look at church history, it is no different. I want you to think about this. If you look at your outline, a couple of examples. Martin Luther was unintentionally the father of the Protestant Reformation. He's the guy who, uh, you know, he did his 95 thesis, and he, he was trying to communicate to the Catholic Church that we are not supposed to be saved by Jesus plus anything else. We are supposed to be saved by faith alone. Solo fide, right? So faith alone is what saves us. So unintentionally, he became, he wasn't trying to, ref, to, to be the reformer. Former, he wasn't trying to separate from the Catholic Church. He was running for his life. Come on now. But the, the, this same guy that we accredit, everybody who is a Protestant today, is part of that Reformation. And what, and what do we know about him? What we know by him is this, is that by all accounts, he was also an anti-Semite. He was anti-Jew. How do, you, how, do you, how do you read your Bible and become an anti-Jew? Miss some stuff. Jonathan Edwards, another guy, one of the greatest theologians of his time. He's known as being one of the greatest writers and speakers of his time. He was a slave owner. How did he miss that? This is the truth. Martin Luther King Jr., you guys know about him. He is best known for his I Have a Dream speech. Y'all heard of that speech? Anybody heard of that speech? His I Have a Dream speech. And yet, when you look at his life, he was not an Orthodox Christian. He denied the virgin birth and other fundamentals of the faith, and yet he led the way to many efforts towards social equality, which is rooted in what? The biblical idea of Imago Dei. He, he, he was simply, he got something over here, and he understood a truth in the Scriptures, and therefore he led the way to so much, but he missed so much at the same time. When you look at church history, things are messy, things are ugly. And can I tell you something? Nothing has changed. Things are still messy. Things are still ugly. Things are still discouraging. Things are still frustrating at times. I was reading a, a, a post today. Somebody said something that you can't love Jesus and hate his wife is what. It was Ed Stetzer. He tweeted that today or yesterday or sometime. I just saw it this morning. And, and, and as because I always check Twitter to see what I'm going to preach about. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he, he tweets that, and then somebody else in there writes down there, well, well, well really, what we're talking about, the organized church is, is really like an ex-girlfriend. I hate it. It's messy. It's ugly, right? There are things that happen. That's the reason why we have to be a community that is gripped by the grace of God. Because here's what I want you to know, is that in all of this, God never ceases to be God. His word never ceases to be true, and his will never ceases to be for us to love him and love one another. Here's where our issues come in. It is when we lose focus on the Savior and the scriptures, and when we forget what he has sent us to do, which is to make disciples. When we lose focus on Jesus, when we lose focus on the scriptures, when we forget primarily what God has called us to do, we make things more of a mess than what they're supposed to be. We have wrong ideas. We have wrong ideologies. We walk in the wrong way. And listen, we can be on the wrong side of history as these men that I just mentioned to you in some areas of their theology and some areas of their practice, they were wrong. But I want you to think about this this morning. Functional faith, which is what I want to talk about today, is always transformational. Functional faith is always transformational. 
When you think about functional faith, what should have happened is that Martin Luther should have repented of what? He should have repented of being an anti-Semite. Jonathan Edwards and, and all of these other people, they should have spoken up against slavery. They should have made sure they communicated these truths because these things were rooted in the scriptures. Martin Luther King Jr., he should have embraced the fundamentals of the faith because what? Because functional faith is always transformational. Can I tell you what happens to us sometimes? Sometimes we get a hold of one truth and we forget about the rest of the truth. Sometimes we get a hold of one thing that we understand and we forget that there is a plethora, there is a fullness in the scriptures for us to come to know God. God has given us revelation of who he is and he wants us to grow in that knowledge of who he is, continuing to grow in our faith. And, and in that way we can walk in unity the way that he wills and the way that he desires. So we can impact our culture. And so you know what, listen, people are going to say, listen, if I die today, I can assure you some of y'all will talk bad about me. Come on now. Right? I mean, it's just the truth. You, you would look back at my life and you would see some things that I did and be like, well, Bishop, he missed it here. Bishop, he missed it there. Listen, I do the same thing to you. Come on now. Right? If we all had, it's funny because yesterday I was in here and as I was getting ready to, I was praying last night. And as I was in here, I, you know, back there in order to, to use the, the, you know, to charge your phone, you got to flip a little switch. Well, when you flip that switch, it actually turns that camera on. And every time I turn that camera on, I'm like, man, what if somebody like just tapped into that? Like, you know, and I'm grateful because in here I ain't doing nothing. I'm praying. I'm seeking the Lord. That's what they would see, right? But, but I think about that. What about if there was a camera on? There is. Now, come on. In your life at all times. Would people, would, people would see some stuff you wouldn't want them to see. Are, 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 we, are, we, are we keeping it 100, right? People would see stuff in you, see you, and if they could really get deep, right, like, like going to your brain, going to your mind, because sometimes we know how to act right, right? We know how to seem a certain way, but what's really going on inside of our hearts, you know who sees all of that? God Almighty. He sees what's going on down deep in here. He knows what's going on in our minds. But here's what we have to understand. Functional faith is always transformational. It always brings change. And so what we have to do is we have to commit to staying focused on the Savior. We have to commit to staying focused on the scriptures, not just a few scriptures that we memorized. Are you here? Not just a few scriptures that we think are great. Not just a few scriptures that we think are awesome. Not just a few principles we think are wonderful and just hang our hat on that like that's where I'm going to live. We need to walk with a God that is continuously calling us to grow in our faith. Continuously calling us to grow in our understanding of who he is because he wants to transform us and he wants to transform our culture. Here's the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me. Say functional faith is sacrificial at its core. Functional faith is sacrificial at its core. And so the Apostle Paul starts off here, and I, and, and I have, have understood, my, my daughter was telling me this, that this is the memory verse for the youth, right? And so, um, you know, she asked some of, the, some of the, the youth leaders, who none of them are in this room right at this exact moment, so I can talk bad about them. But none, I'm not going to talk bad, though. But she asked them, you know, they were asking, hey, you guys know the verse? You guys know the verse? And so there was some, some, some non-knowing of the verse. But this is actually one of my favorite verses, right? One of my favorite verses, I think I've quoted this verse probably more than any other verse in my life, right? And so the apostle, he turns this corner. He goes from telling you everything that Jesus has done for you. He goes from turning the corner of making it crystal clear that we all fall short of the glory of God, right? That's what Paul said from chapters 1 to 11. He took a long time to say it, but what he made clear was what? Is that every one of us falls short of the glory of God. No one, whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, is able to save yourself. Nobody keeps God's laws perfect 
perfectly enough in order to be accepted by God. Every one of us is in the same state before the throne of God, and God has done something. Adam brought sin into the world. Jesus brings salvation into the world, and now we can be saved. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I want you to just look back really quickly. Look back with me here. Just go up to verse 32, and it says this in verse 32 in chapter 11. It says this. It says, for God has committed them all. I think that this is, is the beauty of what Paul was saying as he came to this climactic moment at the end of chapter 11. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all, which is what this whole chapter 1 through 11 is. And then he goes on to say, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. The Apostle Paul understood looking at the beauty and the wonder of what Jesus has done is beyond our understanding to fully grasp, to fully get it. But we can do what? We can bow and worship. And then Paul goes on to say, I beseech you, I beg you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Because of the mercy that you just heard me talk about in all, that is, in all of these chapters, because of the mercies of God, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, the, the mercy because of the mercy he has shown us, because of the sacrifice he made for us, because he died for us, the ones who were sinners, who were not pursuing him, who are not seeking him, who are not loving him, but are rebelling against him and rejecting him. And even when you think you're righteous, you realize your righteousness is as filthy rags. Therefore, a savior has to die because of the mercies of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to do what? To, to present your bodies, a living sacrifice is what he says. He doesn't say, I want you to make a sacrifice. In other words, he doesn't say, I want you to give 10% of your income. He doesn't say, I want you to come to church on Sunday and maybe make a Core Connect life group. He doesn't say, I want you to pray for an hour a day. I want you to read your Bible for 30 minutes. I want you to finish a Bible reading plan. He doesn't say, I want you to make a sacrifice. Amen. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice, become a sacrifice. The same way that he gave his life for you, now you give your life for him. Not just a part of your life, all of your life. Not just some areas of your life, every area of your life. He, he tells us that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And he says this, holy, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is your act of worship. Holy, what does that mean? Acceptable, what does that mean? He is saying, listen, don't just come to God half-hearted. Don't just come to God your way. You know what the problem is in the United States of America today? Is that we are too busy creating our own God than worshiping the God who is. We're too busy trying to make God align with our thinking and our way of being. And so we don't want to worship him his way. We want to worship him our way. We want to worship him how we want to worship him rather than the way that he calls us to worship, to worship him holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. Reasonable. Listen, it only makes sense when you understand everything that Jesus, that was just communicated about what Jesus has done for all of us. What is the response? The response is worship. And then he goes on to say, and do not be conformed. 
to the pattern of this world. And, and some of your Bibles just says, don't be conformed. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this age. You see, here's the thing. You and I cannot be living sacrifices unto God if we are conforming to this world. If we are being formed by this world, if we are being informed by this world, and, and instead of being transformed by the renewing of our mind, we're being conformed. So he tells us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, right? And so the first thing when he's talking about form, he's talking about fashion. He's talking about externals. Don't fall into the ways of this world. Don't fall into the systems, the traps of this world. Don't fall into the divisiveness of this world. Don't fall into the racism of the world. See, in their time, it was what? It was Jew, Gentile. That's what it was, right? That's what Paul talked about. He starts off rebuking the Jews. When we go to chapter 11, you know, chapter 9 through 11, he starts off correcting the Jews' mindset and lets them know how God brought in the Gentiles. But then what does he do at the end in chapter 11? What does he do? He steps up and he says, hold up, Gentiles. Don't think you're all that either. You know why? Because you might start thinking you're all that all of a sudden. None of you are all that. God is the one that is all that. You see, the same racism that was there is the same one that's trying to bubble up in our culture now. Why? Because it's in the hearts of men. And we as the church have to be the ones to say, no, 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 we are not going to conform to the patterns of this world, but we are going to be transformed. Metamorphosis is the word where we, is the, is where we get, uh, that, that, that word metamorphosis is where we get this Greek word, to be transformed, to be radically changed from the inside out. That's what it means, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. How many of y'all want to know the will of God for your life? You want to know how you know the will of God? It is by being transformed in your way of thinking. You can write this down, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. It tells us what? It tells us that we are putting on the new man, right, who is being changed, being transformed by what? In the knowledge of God, the one who created us, right? That's what it says. And that's a paraphrase of what the text says. But what it's communicating is it is that through our knowledge of God, we become more like him. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to know what God's will is in any situation in your life? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This week as I was praying, and I posted it, and, and I posted it in the realm for those of you that saw it, but as I was praying, I was, I was, I was reading through um, um, John chapter 15. And as I read through John chapter 15, I, I got to that point where Jesus says, abide in me. He says, he who abides in me, right? And, and when I read that, he who abides in me, I immediately felt the conviction of the Lord like, you're praying, but you're not abiding. And I was like, God, forgive me. Forgive me for not abiding. See, church, it's not just about praying. It's not just about talking to God for your 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour. Some of us are real spiritual, right? It's not just about that. It's not just about reading a daily Devo or reading verses of the Bible and going through a, I, I want to finish the Bible. Look, I'm like 18 days behind. Just let me confess that right now. I'm going to finish though. I'm going to get through it, right? I, I'm going to double up and I'm going to get there. But here's the thing that I realize. What I realize, it's not about that alone. That's part of getting me into his presence, but that's not going to make me abide. And so if I want to be transformed, 
that I have to abide in his presence. That means spending time prayerfully meditating on his word, prayerfully bowing before him. You know, you talk, we talk about, you know, Lectio Divina and all this kind of stuff. Listen, that's exactly what I did. And I was standing right there. And that's funny. Nobody even moved it. I was standing right there. I opened somebody else's Bible. I don't know whose it was. And I just opened it. I said, let me just go through this verse. And as I read the verse, you know what the Holy Spirit did? Immediately he spoke to me a word that was about what? That was where I needed to be spoken to. It wasn't a condemning word. It wasn't a word like, man, see, some of y'all look at me like, oh, Bishop doesn't abide. Listen, I, I'm not worried about all that. You know why? Because it doesn't matter what you think of me. It matters what God thinks of me. And you know what? He is chastising his son. He is disciplining his son. This is a relationship that we have. I never said I was perfect to anyone up in here. Come on now. And so I want to grow. I want to be a man that walks with God, that prayerfully meditates on the scriptures and is there. And the word of God is living and God can speak to me and he can renew my mind. He can make me think differently than the way that I want to think. That's how we experience transformation. But it's not just praying. It's not just meditating on the word of God. It's remaining in his presence, remaining in communion with him throughout the day. So that means that all throughout my day, I have decisions to make. I have things that are going to happen in my day. And you know what I have to do? I have to decide, am I going to abide in him by obeying what he would do, by doing what he would do, by saying what he would say, by thinking the way that Christ would think, or am I going to go ahead and jump off into my flesh? Abiding in his presence is the way that we experience this transformation. See, functional faith is committed to living a transformed life, knowing with certainty what the will of God is. Listen, the will of God is good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. It doesn't always feel good. It's not always acceptable to us, and it doesn't always seem perfect to us, but to God, it is good. To God, it is acceptable. To God, it is perfect. And what we need to do is trust as he renews our mind that he's walking us into his will. But let me tell you what dysfunctional faith is. Dysfunctional faith operates in burdensome legalism or empty liberalism. And let me just unpack that real quick and we'll move on to the next point. But it either is burdensome legalism. See, some people, some of you, like, you're not even sure about this Jesus thing. Like, you don't even want to walk with Jesus. You're here because someone dragged you. You're here because you have to be. Maybe you're listening because someone said, hey, check this out. But here's what I want you to realize is that some of us operate and this burdensome legalism. Listen, it is so hard for you to be a Christian. It is so hard for you to obey because all you think about is rules, rules, rules. You forget that God wants you to think about a relationship, not the rules. Hello. He wants you to walk with him in a relationship. The rules are there. They're going to be there, but he doesn't want you. Listen, our God is not some task mastering God that is beating us up. He wants us to walk in relationship with him. Not burdensome legalism. But then there's some other people that they're in this place where they're in this empty liberalism. And what I mean by that is that they're like, there are no rules. I do whatever I want. I said a prayer. I believe certain things and I'm all good. Listen, you are the one that needs to look back and say what? It's not about just doing these other things that I want to do. It's about God being Lord. It's about him being Lord. It's not just about him being Savior. It's not just about him saving you and delivering you from your sin. It's not just about remembering that he did those things. It is about him being Lord of your life. See, all of Romans chapter 1 through 11 brings us to this point. It's all what? It's a relationship that God is pursuing with his creation. It is a relationship that he is making possible to all who will believe. It is a relationship that is there. But when you come to him for relationship, he must be Lord. Second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. A functional faith is sober in its function. 
Functional faith is sober in its function. He goes on to say in verse 3, he says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Say soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I want to say this. One of the saddest results of the fall is our propensity towards pride. One of the saddest, saddest things is our propensity towards pride. Why is pride so bad? Because pride is like bad breath. It affects a whole bunch of other people before you even realize you got it. Straight up. You know you've been around that person, and you're right now thinking, am I that person? Am I that person? Uh Uh-huh. We'd be around, you know, those folks, and they start talking, and then they want to get all close to you, and you're like, oh, glory to God. You start breathing out of your mouth, right? Try not to be rude because you want to go like this and be like, come on, man. You know, and, 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 and you, know, you know how that goes. But they don't even realize it. They've been walking around and this halitosis is killing them and they're killing us and they don't even realize what's going on, right? It's just a reality. Pride is the same way. It's the same way. Walking around, people seeing it all over you, right? You don't see it. No, 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 no. Okay, listen. It happens. What does Paul say? Think of yourself soberly. The key to dealing with the propensity of pride in our lives is sobriety. Come on now. It'd be cool if we had like a pride-alyzer test. (laughs) That'd be pretty amazing, right? Hey, breathe into this. Let me show you something. (laughs) We'll stick with the bad breath thing, right? But anyway, a pride-alyzer. Y'all should tweet that somewhere. We need a pride-alyzer test. But what we have here is we have to be sober in our judgment. And so what Paul is saying here is that each one has been given a measure of faith. He's not talking about saving faith. He's talking about the gifts that God has given us. Each of us has a different gifting that God has given us. We know this because we'll confirm this in a moment when we look at verse 8 where it says here, or you can look at verse 6, I'm sorry. Verse 6 says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. In context, what Paul is talking about is that with this grace, is this power, this ability for you and I to know how it is that God has gifted us. So what is Paul's heart in this year? It is this, is that each of us has been gifted. And here's what we have to realize. The word gift, it is, it is not something that we earn, right? We have received a gift, and that gift is to be utilized for God's glory. And so you and I have been gifted in different ways. And what I have to do is I can't look at you and say, man, you're not gifted like me. Therefore, you're not as important as me. Or I'm more important than you because I have a better gift than you. Because, you know, some of us think like our gifts are better, right? Because we don't have that gift, and so we wish we had that gift, which we'll get to that because that's part of dysfunctional faith. But the truth is the key to combating this is what? It's sobriety, thinking of yourself rightly. What is it? So Paul is communicating this to us. He's saying that we must think rightly or soberly about ourselves so that we treat others rightly, loving them and honoring them as equals. See, here's the thing. Functional faith lives in sobriety reminding us of our value and the value of others. See, what does it mean to think of yourself soberly? This is what it means. Now, check it out. To think of yourself soberly is to know who you are, but to never forget why. 
It is to know who you are, but never to forget why. See, the reason why you have value is not because you're so great or because your last name is such and such or because whatever else you want to connect to that. It is because your God created you with worth and value. Every person on the planet. You know why we love everybody? Hear me now. Even our enemies. You know why? Because they are created in the image of God. Everyone on the planet, listen, the person that you despise the most, you know what their problem is? Their problem is that they are simply a marred reflection of the image of God that is in them. They're still image bearers. They're still image bearers. All of us were a marred reflection. Only thing that is happening now is that if you're a believer, guess what? God is aligning you to reflect him better. That's it. He's bringing out of you the reflection of the image that has been there since what? Since creation. All of us have this from creation, the DNA that is there within us. And so we all have this image of God. And so why do I value you? Why is it? It is because you're an image bearer. Whether I like the way you think, whether I like the way you talk, whether I like the way you act, whether I like the way you reason, whether I agree with you or disagree with you, whether you are a Muslim, an atheist, an agnostic, whether you are whatever you are, I have to love you. Why? Because you are an image bearer. I have to honor you. Listen, that's the reason why we value life from the womb to the tomb. Hello. All of life matters. Every life matters. We got to get that. We are supposed to be those kind of people. And so Paul helps us to know that. But what happens is dysfunctional faith, faith neglects either value of ourselves or value of others because we forget who the creator is. That's dysfunctional faith. You don't value yourself. You don't see how God has gifted you. You don't think you're important, right? And I'm not here to do some pep talk or anything like that. I just want you to know you need to know that you have value because God created you with inherent value. He did that. I didn't do that. He created you that way. And then also we can do what? We can also not value others the way that we should. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say functional faith, functional faith. is servant-hearted servant in its expression. Functional faith is servant-hearted in its expression. He goes on to say in verse 6, he says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Here's what we got to understand. Our gifts are meant to be used and they're meant to be useful. Our gifts are meant to be used and they are meant to be useful. They are meant to be used by God and they are meant to be useful to God's creation, right? And so God wants to use us. He gave us gifts in order to use us by them, right? And again, some of us, we're dysfunctional in our faith because we're like, I don't have a gift. And you saw that list. You're like, well, I don't have any of those gifts. You might have those gifts and you don't even realize it. But here's the thing. I just want you to notice this. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, those are other listings of gifts in the scripture. And I think 1 Peter chapter 3, if I'm not mistaken, also gives a listing of scripture of different gifts that are there. And so here's what happens. God God has gifted us in many different ways. We have to recognize that. 
God wants to use us according to his glory. And why is this? Jesus died, gave us life for us. And so when we operate in the gifts that God has given us, then what happens? What we are doing is we're honoring God. We're saying, you know what, God, my life is not my own. I'm going to honor you with the gifts that I've been given. We must recognize that our gifts, listen to this now, they distinguish us and unite us. Think about that. Our gifts distinguish us, but they also unite us. Listen, if we all had the same gift, then that means that only one of us is necessary, or just a couple of us. Hello. Think about it now. If every one of us had the same gift, that means that we don't, why do we all need to be in the, be in the same place? Doing, we don't. So what happens is our gifts distinguish us. And so you may have a gift of prophecy, you may have a gift of teaching, you may have a gift of exhortation, you may have a gift of leadership, you may have the gift of giving, you may, and, and, and what we all do is this, this is what happens with these gifts. These gifts are meant to do what? They're meant to build the saints up so that we can go out and we can minister to a lost world, and God will use us in the ways that he desires to use us. And here's what we get, is we each have equal value to the body, but we each contribute a different measure of grace to the whole. Let me say that again. We each have equal value to the body, but we each contribute a different measure of grace to the whole. Why do I say that? Well, Paul just said it. Each of us has been given a measure of grace. And so what did God say? God said, Aldo, I'm going to give you this. Lewis, I'm going to give you this. You know, Ozzy, I'm going to give you this. He gave us all a different measure, right, of what he gave to us. But I want you to know this. He gave everyone a measure. Amen? He gave everyone a measure. So here's what I want you to think about. Are you contributing to the body like you're supposed to be? Are you? Are you using the gifts that God has given you? So let's run through these gifts really quickly. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time in them. But he says the first one is prophecy, right? So prophecy is the one. It, it is, it's not, I want you to get this about prophecy. Prophecy is not solely prediction. When we think about prophecy, this is what most of us think about, right? Most of us think about somebody, maybe a pastor or someone called a prophet or whatever, that is in front of the church and calls you and says, hey, I'm going to give you a word right now, and then it's something like that. That is not always the case when it comes to prophecy. That's not that, right? What prophecy is is what? What we look in the Bible and what we find is that it is always inspired speaking on behalf of the Lord, right? And so you could be speaking prophetically and not even know it. Have you, let me ask you a question. Some of you, and you don't have to raise your hand if, if, if you've done this, but have you ever been in a conversation with someone and all of a sudden words were coming out of your mouth and you have no clue where those words came from? Let me just see a show of hands. Just, show, just raise your hand if you've done that. Okay, so every one of you, without even knowing it, that was God using you in some kind of prophetic way. Now listen, if you were saying some stuff that's lies, that's not, okay? But here's what I'm saying. You know what I'm talking about, man. I'm talking about in general, right? I'm talking about like you were talking to someone, and all of a sudden these words just came out. And they were words pointing someone to God. They were words pointing someone to Jesus. They were words of wisdom, right? And so God was using you in that way. There was an inspired speaking that was there. But here's what happens in those inspired speaking. Sometimes it's warning, Sometimes it's instruction. Look at the prophets of old. They weren't always predicting things. Sometimes they were simply saying, hey, you've disobeyed God. This is the consequence that's there. Sometimes it's instruction. Sometimes it's corrective. Sometimes it's revealing the secrets of people's hearts. I believe this firmly. One of the greatest places where prophetic stuff happens is when somebody under the inspiration of God is preaching God's word. You know how many times I've heard people who have said, man, it was like it was just you and me in the room. You want to know why? Because God was speaking to that person's heart. How many times people have been, man, I, I was like, were you in the car with us on the way to church? 
I'm like, I wasn't, but he was. <laughs> it's just a reality, right? Were you with us this week? We were having these conversations. See, the Holy Spirit speaks right through those prophetic giftings. And so we need to be careful, right? We need to make sure. And listen, he says to do it. And, I, and you need to hear him when he says this. According to faith, right? According to your faith. Don't be going up to people on a whim. Hello. Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now. When I'm preaching, it's one thing, right? Because I'm preaching, I'm praying, and stuff like that. I'm like, well, man, no, 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 I'm going to preach. But when I walk up to someone, like if I was in prayer and I felt something for them, and I'm like, man, I don't know. You know what I always do? I always say, listen, it, you know, unless I know that I know that I know that it was the Lord, that there's no question, I will always say, hey, man, I was praying for you. And, this, and I'm even careful saying I was praying for you because sometimes people take that like manipulation. Well, if you were praying, it must be God. Not always. Hello. Anybody ever prayed for something that you realized later, yeah, I was praying for the wrong thing? Anybody? Amen. Hallelujah. That was prophetic for someone. Anyway, anyway. But I'll go up to them and be like, hey, man, you know, I was praying for you. I was thinking about you, something I really felt like this. Pray about this. Maybe this is something, and, you know, sometimes it was yes, sometimes it's no. Sometimes, you know, but, 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 but let God use you, right? That's what I'm saying. Let him use you according to faith. Don't be walking around here like you just know it all because no, nobody knows it all. Amen. And ministry, what is ministry? That means serving. So we're supposed to serve. So that covers anything that's not clearly laid out, right? So it could be helping with this, help, that, that ministry of helps, right? That's serving, ministering, and teaching, instruction in righteousness. Teaching is aimed at the mind, right? Not control. Are you here? See, biblical teaching is not to control people. It's to instruct them. It's to show them what God's word says. An exhortation, what is exhortation? It is encouraging people's faith. That's what it is. It is encouraging them to obey God's word, right? Some people have this gift of exhortation where they just come by, and sometimes it's just a hug. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's a text, a phone call, whatever it is. It's just that encouraging gift that you have. Listen, let the Lord use you. People need to be encouraged amen right like let that happen but again it's not about manipulation it's about encouragement see there's a difference it's not trying to manipulate you it's trying to encourage you continue on press on fight the fight fight the good fight of faith giving right giving and that, that's talking about earthly possessions clearly now all of us right are called to give right like everyone is but there's some people that have a gift of giving they're just extravagant givers, and it's not always because they're rich. Hello, somebody. They just have that heart to be a giver. And so what does he say? Do it with liberality. What, what is liberality? With singleness of heart, right? With an open hand, with an open heart. You're not doing it because you want people to see you. You're doing it because you want to be a blessing. Do it with the right intentions. Leading, right? We're all called to lead on some level, but there are certain people who are gifted to lead. That means to stand before, to oversee, to influence others to a specific path. And he says to do it with what? With diligence, with earnest care, with intense effort, with motivation. In other words, do your best the best way you can. This is what he tells us to do in order for us to continue. Showing mercy. Right? And so we all know what showing mercy is, right? Showing kindness and concern for someone in serious need with cheerfulness. And I, and I read this quote, and that's, I, I, want, I want you to hear it. So cheerfulness is this. It's the joyfulness, the amiable grace, the affability going the length of gaiety, which makes the visitor a sunbeam of penetrating into the sick chamber, into the heart of the afflicted. And so what it is, when you do this with cheerfulness, see, you can show mercy to people with an attitude. Yeah, yeah. Amen. See, that, that, I got a witness. <laughs> right? So either they've done it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> or they've seen it, right? 
Like somebody got an attitude when they're showing mercy. Like, like they're doing you a favor. Come on, somebody. So this is the opposite of cheerfulness. That's with a chip on your shoulder. Hello. So show mercy. We're supposed to show mercy. There are some people, and hear me when I say this, for those of you in this place, that you have the gift of showing mercy. Don't be beating other people up because they don't have that same gift. Encourage them. Take them with you to show mercy. Hello. Help them to walk with it. Don't beat them up because they don't have that same merciful thing that God equipped you and filled you with. Listen, we're all supposed to show mercy, but when you do it, especially in the gifting that God has given you, then you do it the right way. Functional faith seeks to serve others by the gifts God has given us. And let me give you three things and I'm going to wrap this up. The marks of dysfunctional faith are wishing you were gifted differently. That's comparison. So you sit over here, right, and, you, and, you, and I'm going to point at myself, and I'm there, and I always feel like I'm a bass player. Glory to God. Right? And I hear Ozzy, you know, and I, whatever, and I'm like, man, why can't I, you know, why can't I have the bass? Glory to God. Right? Why can't I play? Right? So I can look at him, and I can be like, man, I, I don't have a gift because you're ignoring your gift because you're comparing yourself to someone else. Listen, where is it that God has gifted you? Be faithful with that. Do what God has called you to do. The second thing is not recognizing you have any gifts. So you devalue yourself. You don't even see that you're important to the body. You don't even see that you're necessary to the body. Listen, don't lie to yourself like that. Some of you, especially some of you with that showing mercy gift, you think you don't matter. You know why? Because sometimes you feel like you're showing mercy. Nobody even appreciates it. Listen, it's not about appreciation. I'm just going to say it like that. It's not about appreciation. It's about you being faithful with what, God is, with what God has entrusted you with as a gift. And now for those of you that people are showing mercy to, be grateful. Come on now. Show appreciation. Say thank you. Don't just complain because it wasn't like this or it could have been that and all that kind of stuff. Be grateful. The last thing is this. The third one that I'll say is dysfunctional faith in this area is not using your gifts rightly. Misdirected. Using them for your own glory instead of God's glory. And so here's my closing question. Where is your faith dysfunctional? Where is it dysfunctional? See, functional faith is always transformational. That's what I said earlier. Functional faith is always transformational. It is a work of the Holy Spirit that begins in our hearts and continues to the body of Christ, resulting in real impact in the culture. Functional faith is always transformational. But here's why I asked you the question, where is your faith dysfunctional? Because some of you don't know how to get out of the dysfunction. And here's how you get out of the dysfunction. You get out of the dysfunction understanding that in your own ability, it's impossible. You need the grace of God. You need the power of God. You're not, it's not just about, you know, working it up, conjuring it up. It's about you really recognizing that God has said in his word that he has gifted all of us and we need to let God use us for his glory. We need to do everything we do rooted and in and, 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 and the core of our being in the sacrifice of what Jesus did. Why do we do what we do? Because Jesus did what he did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your mercy and your kindness. And Lord, this morning we humble our hearts before you. And we pray, God Almighty, that your Holy Spirit would fill us with power, would fill us with might. And God, that you would help us to be men and women that serve you faithfully. Help us to live as sacrifices. Help us, Heavenly Father, to think of ourselves soberly. And help us, God, to desire to serve for your glory, for your honor, and for your name's sake, God. And we thank you for these things. 
We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise.